Please turn in your Bibles to Psalm 59. Psalm 59 be our first scripture reading, and then we'll also read 1 Samuel 19. In uh, New Westminster URC, we've been going through 1 Samuel. I hope I'm not doubling up on a sermon series here, am I, Pastor Van Leer? No, okay, good. Um, 1 Samuel 19, I preached in New West this morning and preached here again this afternoon. And uh, along with that, we'll read Psalm 59. You'll see in the title, the Holy Spirit-inspired title of Psalm 59, that this psalm was composed during or in reflection upon the events, some of the events that are described in 1 Samuel 19. Psalm 59. To the chief musician, set to, do not destroy, a miktam of David, when Saul sent men and they watched the house in order to kill him. Deliver me from my enemies, O my God. Defend me from those who rise up against me. Deliver me from the workers of iniquity and save me from bloodthirsty men. For look, they lie in wait for my life. The mighty gather against me, not for my transgression nor for my sin, O Lord. They run and prepare themselves through no fault of mine. Awake to help me and behold. You therefore, O Lord God of hosts, the God of Israel, awake to punish all the nations. Do not be merciful to any wicked transgressors. At evening they return. They growl like a dog and go all around the city. Indeed, they belch with their mouth. Swords are in their lips, for they say, Who hears? But you, O Lord, shall laugh at them. You shall have all the nations in derision. I will wait for you. O you, his strength, for God is my defense. My God of mercy shall come to meet me. God shall let me see my desire on my enemies. Do not slay them, lest my people forget. Scatter them by your power and bring them down, O Lord, our shield. For the sin of their mouth and the words of their lips, let them even be taken in their pride. And for the cursing and lying which they speak, consume them in wrath, consume them that they may not be. And let them know that God rules in Jacob to the ends of the earth. And at evening they return, they growl like a dog and go all around the city. They wander up and down for food and howl if they are not satisfied. But I will sing of your power. Yes, I will sing aloud of your mercy in the morning, for you have been my defense and refuge in the day of my trouble. To you, O my strength, I will sing praises, for God is my defense, my God of mercy. 1 Samuel 19. <clears throat> uh, just a quick um, backdrop. The book of 1 Samuel is about the transition from the judges to uh, the kingship, to the monarchy, and it opens up with Samuel who was born to an otherwise, or up till that point, barren Hannah. 
And then we see the growth of Samuel, first of all, in the house of Eli, and then Eli's sons are judged. The whole house of Eli is judged, and Samuel becomes prophets. And then it's uh, his duty to anoint the next king, King Saul. But King Saul is the one of Israel's choosing, not ultimately the one of God's choosing. He has a favorable beginning. Everything seems to, to be uh, starting out well for Saul, but he stops listening to God. And God removes his spirit from him, certainly the spirit for office, but then we'll see also that uh, Saul spirals. Saul spirals into unbelief and hardness. And in 1 Samuel 16, God anoints David. David kills Goliath. David is brought into Saul's house to serve him. And at first, Saul is delighted in him. But when David shows himself to be, or when God is with David, Saul becomes jealous, and in chapter 18, he is secretly desiring, trying to kill David. Now, in 1 Samuel 19, here he openly speaks of his intention uh, to kill David. 1 Samuel 19, now Saul spoke to Jonathan and his son and to all his servants that they should kill David, but Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted greatly in David. So Jonathan told David, saying, My father Saul seeks to kill you. Therefore, please, be on your guard until morning, and stay in a secret place and hide. And I will go out and stand beside my father in the field where you are, and I will speak with my father about you. Then what I observe, I will tell you. Thus Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul his father, and said to him, Let not the king sin against his servants, against David. Because he has not sinned against you, and because his works have been very good towards you. For he took his life in his hands and killed the Philistine. And the Lord brought about a great deliverance for all Israel. You saw it and rejoiced. Why then will you sin against innocent blood to kill David without a cause? So Saul heeded the voice of Jonathan, and Saul swore. As the Lord lives, he shall not be killed. Then Jonathan called David, and Jonathan told him all these things. So Jonathan brought David to Saul, and he was in his presence as in times past. And there was war again. And David went out and fought with the Philistines and struck them with a mighty blow, and they fled from him. Now the distrusting spirit from the Lord came upon Saul as he sat in his house with his spear in his hands, And David was playing music with his hand. And Saul sought to pin David to the wall with a spear, but he slipped away from Saul's presence, and he, that is Saul, drove the spear into the wall. So David fled and escaped that night. Saul also sent messengers to David's house to watch him and to kill him in the morning. And Michael, David's wife, told him, saying, If you do not save your life tonight, tomorrow you will be killed. So Michael let David down through a window, and he went and fled and escaped. Michael took an image and laid it on the bed, in the bed, put a cover of goat's hair for his head, and covered it with clothes. So when Saul sent messengers to take David, she said, He is sick. Then Saul sent the messengers back to David to see David, saying, Bring him up to me in the bed, that I may kill him. And when the messengers had come in, There was the image in the bed with a cover of goat's hair for his head. Then Saul said to Michael, 
Why have you deceived me like this and sent my enemy away so that he has escaped? And Michael answered Saul, He said to me, Let me go. Why should I kill you? So David fled and escaped and went to Samuel at Ramah and told him all that Samuel, uh, Saul sorry, had done to him. And he and Samuel went and stayed in Nioth. Now it was told Saul, saying, Take note, David is at Nioth in Ramah. And Saul sent messengers to take David. And when they saw the group of prophets prophesying and Samuel standing as leader over them, the Spirit of God came upon the messengers of Saul, and they also prophesied. And when Saul was told, he sent other messengers, and they prophesied likewise. Then Saul sent messengers again the third time, and they prophesied also. Then he also went to Ramah and came to the great well that is at Seku. So he asked and said, Where are Samuel and David? And someone said, Indeed, they are at Nioth and Ramah. So he went there to Nioth and Ramah. Then the Spirit of God was upon him also. And he went on and prophesied until he came to Nioth and Ramah. And he also stripped off his clothes and prophesied before Samuel in like manner and lay down naked all that day and all that night. Therefore they say, Is Saul also among the prophets? Brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, this past week, though we did not notice, though um, we did not uh, have even an opportunity to note the way God has delivered us uh, and to thank Him for those specific ways, unbeknownst to us, there were legions of angels. God commanded, as Psalm 91 says, to uphold us and protect us and to keep us, his servants, his people. We don't just have one guardian angel, the Bible says, but we have all of God's angels, legions of angels at his command to protect us. That near miss that we didn't even see, that sickness that we safely avoided even though we didn't see it. All of those different ways that God has protected us this past week. It is a reminder of what Psalm 59 says. God is our defense. Every moment of every day. If God were to withdraw his hands, we would perish. But no, God defends his people spiritually, physically. Psalm 59, David is singing singing about that time when he was in his house at night and the servants of Saul were waiting at the door. The, the moment he would come out, they, they should kill him. And in the, the darkness and the terror of, of that night, he, he reaches out to God and he says, Deliver me. I've not sinned against them, and yet there they are like dogs prowling in the streets. They want to take my life. They are bloodthirsty men, O oh God. Would you scatter them and deliver me? I, I know he realizes as he comes to the end of his prayer of, in song, he says, and I will sing your praise. You have always been my help and you will be so again. And the Lord hears that prayer and delivers him. In fact, 
Psalm 59 clues us into the fact that 1 Samuel 19 is all about God's deliverances. In so many different ways through this chapter, God is rescuing David, protecting him, his anointed one, in order that the purposes of God's kingdom, God's saving mission may go on. We know that in 2 Samuel 7, David has been raised up for that great promise. From you will come a king. From your own body will come a king who will have an eternal kingdom. Of his kingdom there shall be no ends. He is the conqueror, the champion who will crush the head of the serpents. That's why God has raised up David to preserve the line of Christ, to preserve his plan, his plan to rescue his people and bring redemption and a new creation. And so in 1 Samuel 19, we see God at work in different ways to protect David. Our theme Uh, for this sermon, is that the Lord defends his embattled servant from the plots of his enemies. The Lord defends his embattled servants from the plots of his enemies. We'll see this uh, take place in, in three different parts of this chapter. First of all, we'll see that God defends David through his restraining hand. That is, God restrains Saul's sinful desires. Through the, the reasoning of, of his son Jonathan, God works in Saul's heart. He puts it in Saul's heart so that he, he decides not to kill David after all. It's just a short-lived um, time, and yet God restrains. With his restraining hand, he restrains Saul's sin and wickedness. Secondly, we'll see that the Lord defends David through his human instruments. Human instruments, that is, David's cat-like reflexes as he eludes the spear. Michael, his wife's cunning uh, deceptions and plans. Uh, All these different ways in which God uses human instruments to deliver his people, to to deliver his servants. And then finally, we'll see his almighty word. That's where the passage is driving. That's where this is ultimately going. That we see God working directly with his word and spirit. The spirit overcoming Saul's police force, overcoming Saul himself so that they go there for a fight, but they end up worshiping the Lord. As the spirit overpowers them and they begin to prophesy and proclaim the truth that is the word of God, God's word conquers. God's word protects David. That is ultimately, we'll see, the word made flesh. The Word incarnate, our Lord Jesus Christ. First then, the Lord defends his embattled servant from the plots of his enemies by his restraining hands. Saul's desire to to kill King David, or to kill David the anointed uh, king, has been secret for a long time, but now he brings it out into the open. He's got his servants around him, his royal court, and his son Jonathan. And he says, let's make plans. It's time. It's time to kill King David for this and this reason. You know, it's time for him to go. Saul is a very thoughtless man. He knows, he certainly knows, that his son Jonathan has just made a covenant with David. Where Jonathan took off his royal tunic and his weapons, 
Jonathan, the crown prince, the next one in line, and, and he gives them to David as, as though to say, no, you are the Lord's anointed. And I gladly, like John the Baptist says, I must decrease and he must increase, so it is for me. Jonathan has the spirit of Christ in him, the mind of Christ. Christ who, though he was God, yet did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but became a servant to redeem his people. That's the mind of Christ that the Apostle Paul says ought to be in us. us. Well, that was in Jonathan. And then we see Jonathan continue in his, uh, his faithfulness, a faithful son of Saul, when he hears that Saul wants to kill David. He takes a breath, deep breath. He doesn't shoot off his mouth at that first meeting. First makes sure that he can make arrangements with David so that David can be warned and that Jonathan isn't, isn't cut off before that, that can happen. And then he proceeds to meet with his dad. And he's prepared. He doesn't just say, Dad, David is my friend. Please don't kill him. No, he's got reasons. So he comes, he meets with his father. And there are lots of things, to, uh, uh, things we can learn here from Jonathan. It is through Jonathan's words here that, that God will restrain Saul's desire or his intention to kill David. See, first of all, that Jonathan speaks to his father with respect and honor. We never see Jonathan despise or ridicule his father. In fact, till his dying day, he fights alongside of his dad. He will say no to certain orders, especially the orders to, to kill King David or to kill David. And yet he never, he never despises his father. He speaks with honor and respect. Secondly, he employs sound and biblical reasoning. He says to, to his dad, uh, David has not done anything against you. He has been faithful. He has done you good. He has been a faithful servant in your court, a blessing. You remember, Dad, what he did to the Philistine. He put his own life on the line. No one else would. He did, giving God the glory. And God won a great deliverance for us that day. You saw it, Dad, and you rejoiced. Now, why will you kill an innocent man? Why will you shed innocent blood? Deuteronomy 19, verses 10 to 13 says that anyone who sheds innocent blood in Israel brings guilt upon the entire lands. And perhaps Jonathan is is reminding his dad of that. So he comes with sound biblical reasoning, but most of all, he gets to the heart of the matter and he confronts his dad in his sin. He He doesn't pull any punches there. He continually says, why... Why would you sin in this way against David? What Saul is planning to do is sin, and he has got a God problem. Not a David problem, but a God problem. And Jonathan, as all faithful sons will do, though he speaks with respect and honor to his dad, he will take that opportunity in love to confront his father and say, Dad, don't go down this road. There is a way of life and of blessing here And that is the way of trust in our Heavenly Father, trust in the Lord God and His anointed one to to respect and honor the life of of His anointed. Well, Saul is moved by Jonathan's plea, and David's life is spared. 
And so we see that God delivers David, first of all, through his restraining hand. There are so many times in history and even in our own lives when wicked men can do yet one more wicked thing and yet God puts it in their heart for whatever reason not to do that. If God would allow all wicked men and women to carry through their wicked plans all the way to the depths of of human sin, this world would be chaos and, and a mess. But God restrains human sin, sometimes, as we see here, through the faithful witness of his people, of his church. We should not minimize the influence that even though maybe rulers... Let's say wicked rulers will not be converted through our witness. Yet if we speak the truth, God may, through those words, work in their hearts his restraining hand, even as God does here uh, for Saul, for David's sake. But note also in this something very sad and tragic about Saul. His own son, his own son is evangelizing him. Dad, don't do this sin. Don't do this. Don't go there. He's confronting him. Saul's given another opportunity to repent. He's blinded by his rage for David. It doesn't make any sense. The way of life and blessing is to say, this is God's anointed. I will follow him. Here's the the one God has chosen to be king. This is not about me and my kingdom, but Saul has made it all about him. He sees his office as king as a means to serve himself and build up his own kingdom. Jonathan gives him another opportunity to repent. And yet, though Saul says, no, I won't kill him. I vow, you know, he shall not die. He shall not be killed. Yet we know from the rest of Saul's life that those words did not mean true heart repentance making promises and vows, you know, swearing off of, of sin like Saul does, even for a time, yeah, you know, um, putting that sin aside, that itself is not repentance, and it wasn't for Saul either. True repentance is what David sings in Psalm 51. Sorrow for sin, it's saying, God, I did this against you. I did this. This is me. You are just, and you are to be justified But I am a wreck. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. That's the prayer of of, of repentance and faith. To say, God, I need you. I need a new heart. That could have been Saul's prayer, but it was not. And here's a warning for us. For Saul, that meant that those crusts around his soul would continue to grow. And he would continue to grow hardened in his sin. Even making, giving an opportunity to the devil. Ephesians 4.26 says, Do not let the sun go down on your anger, nor give place to the devil. If you let the sun go down on your anger, in other words, you're giving place to the devil. And that's what Saul is doing. And that's precisely what we see next. He becomes jealous of David's victories again. And there he broods in his rage and jealousy and an evil spirit comes to distress him. Yes, that spirit we read is from the hand of the Lord. But that's because we can't forget God is sovereign sovereign over all. 
Remember in Job, Satan and, and, uh, and his hosts, they, they, they come before, before God. God will not allow them to, to do anything that's, that is not according to his sovereign ordination. And so it is for Saul, but we cannot miss the fact that Saul has stopped listening to God. He is resisting his grace, and so he makes himself susceptible to the oppression of the devil. And that's where, secondly then, we come to the second way in which God delivers David, and that is through human instruments. Before, when Saul had tried to pin David to the wall, David had escaped and Saul had sort of let it go and moved on. This time he doesn't let it go. He says, men, after David, says, go check his front door, keep a watch. You see him come out in the morning, you kill him. Or we're probably looking at a house that's built into a wall. So on one side is the front door, and that's where David's henchmen are, are lurking, keeping watch and, you know, in the shadows. And on the other side of the house is the, the city wall with a window, kind of like Rahab in Jericho. It's probably what's, what's going on here. So Michael says, hey, did you know they're going to kill you? Michael is the one who, who raises the alarm, and, and, to, and, and, and she helps David escape uh, he, he flees out the window, and Michael, uh, through her cunning uh, devices, is able to stall for time. When the men knock at the door, she comes down with a thermometer in her hand. You know, ah, he's sick. He's sick right now. Uh, interestingly enough, they go back to King Saul. You can almost imagine King Saul saying, yes, yeah, so he's sick. So what, we can't kill him because he's sick? That doesn't make any sense. Go back there, and you go into his room, and you kill them. Kill him then while he's in his sick bed. And so they go back, and they go upstairs or wherever, and, well, there's an idol with goat's hair. Just enough time. What, what is Michael doing with all of this? She's, she's buying just enough time for David to make his getaway so that he's far enough ahead that they can't head, catch him before he gets to, to Samuel. Now, there's, there's some messiness in this story, as there always is in our lives as well. There's messiness in the history of God's people. So with here, we wonder, why is there an idol in David's house? What gives there? What's, what's going on? Well, the, the text doesn't answer that. And also, Michael. Michael, notice what she says to Saul. When Saul looks at her in disbelief and says, how could you betray me like this? I thought you were on my side. Right? Saul is expecting that his daughter will be against her own husband. Right? For, for Saul, that's all that he can see. Why wouldn't Jonathan and Michael be on his side against David? Well, he can't fathom that because his world is so small right now, so curved in on himself. He looks at Michael and says, what in the world? Why would you let him get away like this? Michael, rather than saying, well, he's my husband and I love him, she says, well, he said to me, let me go, get, let me get out of here or I'll kill you too. And so she throws David under the bus. And we're not surprised that later on, Michael despises David for his worship when the ark enters into Jerusalem, that their marriage isn't good, and that uh, she, she dies a lonely and a sad and a, and a barren woman. And yet God is using her here. 
God is using here, he uses imperfect people. He, he spoke through a donkey. He can use Michael as well as a human instrument to rescue David. To rescue David, God answers David's prayer in Psalm 59 by using Michael's cunning tactics. And so often, he will do for us as well. That when we pray for God's protection, that doesn't mean that that we can put our own wisdom and plans to work as long as we always submit those plans and those devices to the Lord, to do them within the integrity of our hearts and say, Father in heaven, you know, we have made these plans, but you alone are our defense and our hope and our trust is in you. And that's ultimately, ultimately why we see the last part of this story, that the big message is, God can use people, God can work in the hearts of kings to restrain their sin, but at the end of the day, our hope is this, that our God, the power of His Word and of His Spirit, is no match for His enemies. And when the time comes and He says, enough, And he speaks with his voice and he strips the forests bare. So his voice, the word of his power which upholds all things, will also protect his people and bring his enemies to nothing. And that word is ultimately the word made flesh, our King, Jesus Christ. And we see that in this way. Samuel flees to Ramah, or not Samuel, David flees to Ramah to Samuel. And when he goes to Samuel, why is he going there? Well, he's going to the tabernacle, to Samuel the prophet. He's going where the Word of God is, where it's ministered. Taking shelter in in the Word of God, the safest place for us. And as he goes to take shelter into the wings of God and in his Word, there comes Saul after him. First, his police force, his henchmen. They come bursting onto the scene, armed to the teeth. Their commands, their order is to get David, bring him back where he will die. They see the prophets, and suddenly the Spirit overwhelms them, and they begin to prophesy. Yes, they receive direct words from God. And they begin to proclaim his truth and his praises. They go for a fight, but a worship session breaks out. A worship service breaks out. And it's, it's really it's quite humorous if, if we try to imagine that scene. The next company is sent out, and the next company, and there they all are, singing God's praises and proclaiming his word. Until Saul is probably beside himself thinking, what in the world? If you need something done right, you've got to do it yourself. So there he heads out, and he's going to get David himself. And Saul gets overwhelmed the hardest. The Spirit comes upon him, and he strips off his outer robe, probably his royal robe. He's he's not most likely, uh, the, the way the Hebrew puts it, he's most likely not completely, completely naked but that he has in a very, what would not be dignified for a king and a person of his position, he's, he's, he's done something very uh, unlikely, and he's taken off his, his outer garments. And he prophesies all day and all night, 
before Samuel. What has happened? What is happening here? Well, Saul has become an enemy of the kingdom. He's become an enemy of the word of God. He has stopped listening. He, is an, he, is a, he opposes God's grace. Well, he has met the word and the spirit of God in living color, we might say. And he is forced to see the truth that you cannot oppose God and get away with it. You are fighting a losing battle. It will not work. He rules this world by his word and spirit. And he has come to rescue this world by his son, the word made flesh, who through his spirit now lives and reigns and and his presence is with us as the gospel goes out in power. His word in the hands of the Holy Spirit going out to conquer the nations as he has conquered our hearts, I hope, conquered all of our hearts for his kingdom. That's the message here. We all must day, everyone, everyone in creation will one day bend the knee. That's what we read in Philippians 2. Every knee will bow, and they will either do that willingly in love, changed and transformed by His awesome grace, Or they will do that gnashing their teeth and hating every minute of it. But they will be able to do nothing other than acknowledge that Christ is Lord. And so even though Saul's not a believer, like Balaam, he has been overpowered by the Spirit of God to proclaim the Word of God, things he does not want to say, things he does not believe, But God will get him to say them anyways. We all will be conquered by the Word. That is the Word made flesh. And crucified and risen and ascended and reigning. Revelation 19 says this, and we will come to our close with these words. The Apostle John says, I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. This is verse 11. And he who sat on him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So we all will be conquered by the word, either conquered by his grace, his robe dipped with blood, sheltered in the cross, where all of God's wrath was poured out upon his son, so that through faith in Christ's name we are justified. 
And that God now makes it his passion to defend his people who are righteous in his sights in the Lord Jesus Christ, his beloved son. And so David can say, God, I trust you. I belong to you. I love you. I live for you. No, not David is not perfect. He is not without sin. But his faith is true and real. And so he can know God is my defense. But then there is Saul. Saul just has the external trappings of religion. He can say the right things there. He is singing in church. He's sitting in the pew. He's, he's got the... He's a king in Israel, after all. He's an office bearer. But it's all external. There is no heart for God. There is no genuine life, submission, and surrender to the king of kings. If we, if you, like Saul, should be ignoring all the opportunities that God gives for repentance, that, that those Sunday sermons, the reading of the word at home, or a, a, a friend who, who confronts you in your sin, if you, like Saul, should dispel that and, and, and you know, rebuff that and, and keep that at arm's length, Again, you run the risk of those crusts covering your soul and that hardness of heart and, and that place for the devil. And so the warning here and the call of Revelation 19 is that we either take shelter in the cross of Christ where we are rescued from our sin, where all of our sins are forgiven, or we will be and we must be destroyed in his justice and his power. We take shelter in the cross where the word of God is our protection. The word made flesh. Where he says to all, each and every one of us, you come to me. Wherever you have been, whatever you have done, you come to me. You will find rest for your souls and I will never turn you away. And so, brothers and sisters, God is our defense. As we know him in the Lord Jesus Christ, then the offer of the Lord Jesus Christ is a promise, is a promise. Come to me, and I will be your Savior, and I will be your defense, even to the end of the age. Amen.